Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Snohomish County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee, and today we are talking about music therapy and hospice care with board-certified music therapist Matt Valois. Matt is a board-certified music therapist at Ecumen Hospice, serving patients in the Twin Cities metro and rural communities of southern Minnesota. He studied at Drury University in Springfield, Missouri. Then Matt completed his clinical internship at John Knox Village Hospice in Lee Summit, Missouri, and received his music therapy board certification in 2018. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So um, for a little context about who you are and what you do, can you tell me about how did you originally decide to become a music therapist and how would you describe your therapeutic approach or philosophy? Yeah. So um, I actually uh, started my college studies with a Bachelor of Musical Arts. At the time, I just knew I really loved music, but I did not know what I wanted to do with it at the time. I spent some time kind of meandering through different odd jobs, and I ended up being a caregiver for adults with developmental disabilities in their homes. And I really started to uh, enjoy that type of work. I really loved it. And um, when I realized what I really enjoyed, I started doing research. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, there's actually something called music therapy. You can go to college, get a degree in it, become certified, and then be a music therapist. Um, Particularly in hospice care, it's definitely patient-centered first. Mm. Um, You may have heard of, you know, other different populations that music therapists work with. What I've discovered in the realm of uh, hospice work is it's less developing a treatment plan and knowing exactly what you want to do when you go in, but it's more you receive the patient first and uh, you begin to look at what exactly the needs are. You might have an idea going in because you've seen them a couple times, but you know there's a 70 to 80% chance that something is happening right then and there that you had not expected. So mm-hmm. you just kind of improv, <laughs> do the best that you can, and um, you key in what, what the needs are and and uh, use music to develop something right there in the moment for them. How did you get into hospice care? Was there a particular draw to hospice within music therapy prior to finishing your uh, certification? When I was studying at Drury University, we have what's uh, called practicums for a semester. And so each semester, we're working with a board-certified music therapist in, in a different area. In my case, uh, one of my semesters was co-directing the intergenerational rock band at the university, which was a lot of fun. One of the semesters that I had, I was given the opportunity to basically uh, be mentored by a board-certified music therapist in hospice. And that semester opened my eyes to how, how precious that type of work is and how sacred that work is. And I just fell in love with it. So after that experience, that's when I started looking for internships in hospice. And I ended up being accepted at an internship at John Knox Village Hospice in uh, Lee Summit, Missouri, outside of Kansas City. So can you tell me more about the specific type of work that you're doing now? Who are you working with? Um, what does that look like? Uh, um, right now, I work for Ecumen Hospice in uh, Minnesota. I actually work for two different branches. My, my patients are basically all over the place. All of them are about a, an hour radius from where I am. So I get to both 
usually before uh, COVID-19 restrictions happened, uh, basically my job was to have my guitar and my voice with me and uh, drive all over Minnesota all day <laughs> and have a good time. So the population that I work for is basically all of our hospice patients. There isn't a certain age group. It's basically anyone who has been qualified for hospice and has been referred to hospice services and those who have decided themselves or their families to enroll in our hospice program. So some of our patients uh, do live in skilled nursing facilities. Uh, some of them live in assisted living facilities. Some of them live in their private homes. But uh, with hospice patients, they could be anywhere that they deem their home. So mm -hmm. we go to wherever they are. Awesome. For anyone that doesn't know, for any listeners that are unfamiliar with hospice, sure. how do you define what hospice is? You know, just generally, just basically, it's end-of-life care. Mm. And what you're doing with uh, hospice patients is either them or their families have gotten to the point where they have decided that they no longer want aggressive treatment for whatever they're experiencing. So they don't want to go any more surgeries. They don't want any more medications. They don't want any more chemotherapy. They don't want, you know, just a list of different things that in their mind detract from quality of life. Mm. For a lot of people, there gets to a point where they want to transition from trying to cure everything to, you know, I want to live the best life that I can with the time that I have and transition into passing away peacefully. Absolutely. So that's what that is. So COVID-19 is still happening. When we're recording this, the pandemic is still happening. How has moving to telehealth changed or adjusted how you practice? It's been a very large impact. One of the struggles with hospice care is that it is very personable and a lot of it has to do with your presence. Of course, due to COVID-19 restrictions, a lot of that personal touch and that quality of life that we normally give when we're with somebody has been inhibited a lot. So, you know, the majority of my visits are telehealth at the moment. And how that works is the nurses or the aides, once they're giving direct cares and have to give direct cares, they're the only ones who are allowed into facilities like a skilled nursing facilities at this time. Mm. So what we have to do is we have to kind of schedule with them and figure out when they're going to be present, whenever they're going to have time. And uh, they act as the telehealth facilitator for us visiting someone. And so when we're in non-pandemic circumstances, what does a session look like? Are there certain things that a family can expect in a session? Or could you tell me more about that? Yeah, that's all determined on whatever the goals are. You know, uh, pre-pandemic, my first visit to someone is getting to know who the patient is asking questions about their musical background, if they've played a musical instrument or uh, sang in a choir, what their relationship to music is. And from there, I kind of, kind of determine what their needs are as well. Particularly right now during the pandemic, um, a lot of the needs right now is how to deal with uh, social isolation. Mm. Um, so, you know, kind of in a basic session like that, I would be playing their favorite songs, usually when they were 15 or 20 or 25, or different types of music that have different themes with uh, what they're feeling or experiencing at the time to give them a validation through music. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes over time that will go into helping them to write music or write songs, either using uh, an existing song and changing lyrics, lyric substitution, or even uh, writing original music in the form of creating a legacy of their life that they can pass on to their loved ones. 
For example, I uh, had the uh, honor and the opportunity to work with a uh, Presbyterian minister who was a minister for 40 years, and he had a hobby of writing his own hymns. He had traveled to India and traveled all over the world to study different religions, and it changed his outlook so much that he thought that he needed to create music and create hymns that reflected what he truly thought about religion, since it had changed. His family actually found a book that had a collection of all of his music, and they told me that he did not have the opportunity to actually record any of them. So with their permission, I started recording them. And before I would record them, uh, during my times with him, I would ask him questions about why he wrote what he wrote. And so over a period of, you know, a couple months, I had recorded about five or six of his songs. And um, it made him feel alive again and made him feel that he was important again. And all of his music, his family decided when he passed away uh, to send all of his music all over the world because he was a world traveler. So he had family mm. and friends all over the world. So that was his legacy, was the music that he wrote. That is such a cool story, Matt. So very cool. In your work, I'm sure you give like the elevator pitch about what is music therapy? What do you do? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are some misconceptions you hear about music therapy in hospice settings? When, when people see a guy with a guitar in an assisted living facility, they, they automatically think, oh, we're going to get entertained. The things with uh, being entertainers is they're the ones who are performing. It's a rarity to have entertainers that slow their music down so that someone can sing along with them. Mm-hmm. Or in the middle of a song go, hey, you know, we're going to morph into the different song because I'm seeing the questioned eyes that you have that shows that you have no clue what the song is. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to morph into something else here. You know, that, that's what a music therapist is. We respond to whatever the needs are in the moment. And that's, that's the fun thing about music is it's very flexible. It's very versatile. So you can change it on a dime at any given time. You can make it go fast. You can make it go slow. You can sing louder. You can sing softer. You can have just acapella. You can add instruments. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do with music right in the moment. And anything can be a source of validation. And also, I think most people think that, you know, whenever there's physical symptoms, then the answer is always medication or, you know, I have to ask the nurse. There are situations where the nurses call on me and say, we have a patient who's been experiencing terminal restlessness and has not slept for three days. Is there anything that you can do utilizing music to help them calm down? So there are a lot of times where my job is less companionship and it's more trying to help them relax. So I will tune with their breathing patterns, with their body language, uh, anything that I can see, anything that I can hear. And I will mirror the type of music to their breathing patterns and their body language and start to slowly change that over time to where they gradually start relaxing and getting quieter and sometimes falling asleep. Mm. All of that's done without the use of medication, which can be helpful. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, How do you practice trauma-informed care in your work? One of the benefits that I have as a hospice clinician is that I'm part of an interdisciplinary team. On a hospice team, there is the physician, there is the registered nurse, there's the aide, uh, chaplain, the social worker, and me, and also volunteers. So there's a whole set of people that are working on the team with what we're trained with to focus on the patient to see how we can match those needs. 
With that, we gain a lot of knowledge on the patients. So we get a lot of information upon admission, usually the social worker and, and the nurse. And sometimes the doctor will visit with the family and the patient, and they'll go through their medical history. They go through their emotional history, their mental history, their spiritual history. When you bring together all that information, then you can start understanding who that person is, what their needs are. You can steer away from things that might be a conflict, and you can go towards things that are naturally going to support that patient and that family. So yeah, for example, for those of you who are listening, I have a, I have a jingle bell in my hand. I'm going to tell a story about it. Two years ago, towards the end of my internship, I was working with a, a woman who, you know, I was lettering a note that um, this was the last time that I was going to see her since I was uh, completing my internship and getting prepared to move to Minnesota. And uh, she said, oh, I want to give you something. She goes to the Christmas tree and she gets a Christmas ornament and she gets a pair of scissors and cuts the bell that I have in my hand from the Christmas ornament and she handed it to me. And she goes, now you have a bell and I have this ornament. So we'll always be connected, even though you're no longer going to be able to see me. I wanted to give you something because out of everyone in the hospice team, your visits were something I looked forward to every week more than anyone else. You know, it was always depressing to uh, continue to hear questions about, what's my appetite light? Do you have pain anywhere? You know, all these different things that make me think that I'm dying. But every time that you came, all you did is you were just here with me. We had a lot of fun. I got to sing. I got to dance in my uh, chair. I got to play with musical instruments, play my favorite songs. And every time that you came, I totally forgot that I was dying. And I wanted to thank you for that. Mm. I don't know what happens is going to be like. But once I get up there and I figure out what's going, going to happen, I will help you as much as I can from the other side. Again, mm. I have to figure that out when I get there. <laughs> but if you don't have your bell on you, then, then I'm going to be extremely mad. You better have your bell on you. <laughs> okay. So for two years, um, I've always had this in my pocket whenever I've uh, done hospice work to remind me about why I do the work that I do. That is so cool. And what a gift. That's very cool. Hospice work has taught me how important just songs in themselves are. I had an experience of getting a call at the office and uh, one of our nurses at one of our, you know, one of our patients' homes said, hey, Matt, is there any way that you can stop by? I know you haven't seen them before, but you know, our patient, he really wants a male music therapist, which we have, and he wants to hear these three specific clones. He's been terminally restless for three days. He hasn't slept for three days, but uh, he was talking with his brother, and they selected three songs that he wants to hear you know, for his funeral. And I was like, okay, um, where are the songs? So she told me, uh, so by the time I got there, I already had my guitar out. I introduced myself, here I am, and I started playing right away. And the thing is, he, he really loved it. He was struggling with terminal restlessness, which means his consciousness was uh, going in and out. He was having hallucinations, but he was also singing along, you know, maybe 60% of the time. Mm. I sang the three songs that he wanted. And then I made a joke. It's like, hey, you know what? You're not going to hurt my feelings if you want to just close your eyes and relax a little bit. You don't have to be awake for this if you want. He's like, no, actually, it's been my dream for a long time to have a personal concert just for me. Aww. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to give you a personal concert. I'm right here. You're right here. And I've got hundreds of songs here. So I stayed with him for, you know, an hour and a half or so, mm. um, just playing different songs and being with him and being with his wife. 
there came a point where his wife asked him, you know, are you done with music? And he said, yeah, I think I'm done with music. So I pick up my guitar. I go to the kitchen to start my documentation and he passes away. Mm. So what that tells me is again, the importance of songs themselves. He really wanted to hear those songs before he had passed away. It's what gave him peace. He also wanted, you know, that experience, his desire of having one personal concert, you know, one last hurrah before he left. So, you know, in, in hospice work, you have the opportunity to do something very sacred and very special. And since everyone's different, that's something special is different for everyone. And as a hospice clinician, you just do your best to try to figure out what that is. Yeah. That's a really special thing that you do, Matt. It's very, very cool. You know, I have a lot of friends who are music therapists in different populations where they spend you know, hours writing out treatment plans, writing out uh, what their specific goals are, how they're going to approach those goals. A lot of things with hospice, it's, it's the exact opposite. You go in without a plan. You go in hoping that you can respond to the best of your capabilities to whatever is in front of you. Mm. Yeah. We are coming to the end of our time for today. Do you have any resources that you can share with listeners if they want to uh, yeah. learn more about hospice care and music therapy? One of the main sites for uh, specific uh, music therapy is hospicemusictherapy.org. That is a really great source, uh, resource that uh, was founded by uh, Russell Hilliard. He's a music therapist who's he's now the vice president of operations of Seasons Hospice, I believe. That's a national hospice program. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's the one who formed the Center uh, for Music Therapy in End-of-Life Care. He does a lot of uh, different workshops to get uh, music therapists uh, certified to do specifically hospice work. Um, mm. There's resources there that have books that go into a lot of detail about what music therapy in a hospice setting is really like. So those are really good resources. Absolutely, yeah. So I will link listeners the resources that Matt has sent me on the episode notes and also on our website. Our website address is S as in Sam, C as in Cat, musicproject.org. You can also follow us on all social media at SC Music Project. We encourage you to subscribe, follow, leave a review. Thank you so much, Matt, for chatting with me today yeah. and being willing to share your stories. Thank you, listeners, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thank <music> you.